Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. This is Vincent Price. Darkness falls across the land. The midnight hour is close at hand. Creatures crawl in search of blood to terrorize your neighborhood. Can you dig it? <laughs> Something good to eat. If you don't, I don't care. I'll pull down your underwear. Hey guys, welcome back to our special Halloween episode for Billy Claire's Excellent Adventures. If you just heard me sing, I sung the traditional kids' song, Trick or Treat, Smell My Feet. <laughs> it's a very funny song. And when I was singing it the first time, my dad made a face like that was like the stupidest song ever, but whatever. Um, no, I made a face that was like, Claire, your feet smell terrible. And I don't want to smell them. So please take all of the candy in the house and keep your feet away from my head. Um, before we get started, make sure to subscribe to us. Give us a five-star rating. No under below because that'll put us under a podcast that is probably worse than us because we're the best podcast. True. Smiles. All true. Well, except for the dork podcast. They're like, they're like we're like an inch higher than them. Uh-huh, like a centimeter uh-huh, higher uh-huh. than them. Uh, speaking, if you hadn't heard, Claire made her debut on the In the Mouth of Darkness chat cast when we interviewed uh, Andre Gower and uh, Henry McComas of Wolfman's Got Nards. Andre Gower was um, the kid, the main character in The Monster Squad, and he made a doc with Henry about just sort of the life of The Monster Squad after those movies. And Claire participated in the interview and I think totally stunned them with the list of movies or one movie that you had seen. Uh, so I think check that interview out. I had a good time. Did you enjoy that? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, if you haven't been following along our normal episodes, we've been doing uh, Operation Universal Horror, which has been a deep dive into all of the Universal Classic monster movies. Uh, so we watched Frankenstein. We watched The Invisible Man. That was one that was okay. We watched Bride of Frankenstein. That was great. We watched Dracula. It was a bit slow. Dwight Fry was pretty awesome as Remfield. Uh, I think we all agreed. But you could see the string of the bat, so it must have been, a, but so it must have been not very good editing. <laughs> uh, but so that's what's going on. Uh, stay tuned for some coverage of The Monster Squad and Wolfman's Got Nards. Uh, and then we'll be back with Universal Horror Monsters. Uh, I think either The Mummy or Wolfman. And then we'll wrap up this dive into it uh, with Creature from the Black Lagoon after that. Uh, But today it's Halloween. And what are we here to talk about? (gasps) 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 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's a pretty spot on Michael Myers impersonation. (laughs) Halloween. That's right. uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, I had talked with your mom about showing you uh, John Carpenter's Halloween for kind of this Halloween special. Wait, um, wait, hold on. This was a Joe Bog Briggs production. Wait, exactly. I said that wrong. No, I, I'm not saying it wrong. That's what I was getting to was we had talked about showing you this movie. We're going to watch it like Tuesday and then record that night. And I would edit it and we'd throw it up on Halloween on Thursday, right? Um, but last Friday... Uh, Joe Bob had his Halloween hoot nanny on Shudder, and the movie that they had up was John Carpenter's Halloween. And so you got to sit with us and watch Joe Bob talk about Halloween and watch the movie for the first time. What did you think about the Joe Bob experience? 
I do not like how he stopped the movie every like 30 minutes. <laughs> what did you think about what he had to say while he was talking? Did it just bother you that the movie kept getting interrupted or did you just not engage with what he was saying? I didn't even listen. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I was so busy fun. remembering what happened in the past of the movie because when I stop doing something, I'm not going to remember and we're going to have to start the book over. That actually happened recently with the same book. <laughs> I was at page 35 uh, with Lady at the Black Lagoon, and I forgot to bookmark my page, and I didn't, and I didn't put a sticky note there that says, you were right here, <laughs> and then I had to start the book over. Yeah, so Joe Bob shouldn't talk for three hours in between every single cut of Halloween, I guess, is what I take away from this, uh, from Claire's perspective. You know, it's funny, I guess, because for your mom and I, sitting down to watch Joe Bob, like, for me... It's Joe Bob. Even in movies that I haven't seen, I want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> oh my gosh. I guess, I guess that's I guess that's my cue that I'm Joe Bobbing too much. Is that that's I'm talking too much and Claire's playing me out with her Michael Myers heavy okay. breathing? Um yeah, I love I love watching Joe Bob and when I watch Joe Bob, I'm watching Joe Bob. The movie in between, I'm just like whatever. And it was kind of a weird experience doing that with Halloween because I love the movie Halloween. And I think, I'm trying to rack my brain and see if I'm lying here. I think that was the first film that I've watched as part of a Joe Bob thing where I was really emotionally invested in the film that we were watching. I don't share your love of B-movies. Mm. And so normally, you know, I'm listening in attentively to Joe Bob, and then when the movie comes back on, I'm like, yep, I'm getting more popcorn, because I'm not nearly as interested in the movie. So I have sort of the inverse experience of Claire. Well, so we got off on a tangent on the experience of watching Joe Bob, which I guess was hit and miss for the group. Big hits for Danielle and I, not so big a hit with Claire, but it was also your first time watching the movie. What did you think about Halloween overall? Halloween was awesome. Yeah? Uh, it was like one of those movies that has less talking, and the story isn't in the talking, it's in the movements of the characters, kind of like dance. And I really like that because I could relate to that more than talking. Because in most stories, like kids' movies, the whole problem, it, they, they, could, they could front the problem in talking. It's like Invisible Man. The, the problem, they, they had a lot of talking and they had barely any movements. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know a fancy word for that? Uh-huh. Uh, that's, that's called exposition. Exposition is when... Uh, you have characters in a story just tell you a bunch of information that you need to know in their uh, exposition. And so they drop in all this knowledge um, and the better movies still work in all of that development and all that background information, but they do it while they're doing action. I think right now in terms of modern movies, um, people are doing it the best um, it, like this, the Marvel movies because all of their action sequences have character development baked into it so that while you're watching the movie, this action's happening. And if you're not a big action person, you can still watch for the character development. And if you're a big action person, you can watch for the action and less for the character development. But it gives something there for everybody to pay attention to and engage with. And I think John Carpenter's Halloween does really great with that because they go in for a mood. And it's like, I feel like that movie is very effectively creepy. Like you, just with the way that Mike Myers stalks uh, Laurie Strode through the course of the movie where they're, he's, you know, driving along, watching them, doing that creepy drive-by stare as he like slow rolls the vehicle past. 
um, you know, seeing her on the sidewalk and all that sort of stuff. Like, I think it sets a creepiness that they like lean in the into. high school. She couldn't even pay attention to her teacher. I think the teacher ha- kind of has a big role on her because um, it introduces the problem that Lori thinks she's being stalked or thinks that she's seeing things. Mm. It introduces the problem. So I think the teacher part had a big role in the story. Yeah, I think that that's a key building block moment because, you know, the action of this horror movie doesn't really start until the last 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, and then it's full of violence, uh, basically nonstop. There, there are a couple of kills that happen, um, but they're very brief and quick. And I don't even think those happen until the start of the third act anyways. The problem is, Lori, even though she was smart, she was an idiot. She kept <laughs> Why do you think leaving that? the freaking knife next to him. <laughs> yeah, I think we counted three different times that she got his weapon away from him and then gave it back. Well, she stabbed him with a knitting needle. She left him with the knife. She got him with the hanger and he went down and she should have gone for stabbing him some more. Oh, I, I remember I said that. I was like, stab him more. I remember <laughs> saying that into your ear. Yep. And Bobby and Bobby told that to you. Uh, yeah, you did mention that when we were watching the show because I tweeted it out. So if you guys uh, were following along uh, on the podcast account at BACEA podcast, I live tweeted our watch of this on Friday night. Uh, but Claire said uh, right after that, now an extra couple of stabs, bro. She didn't do that last time. Uh, and then you said, right, as I was typing this, oh, frick, he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely enjoyed watching Claire watch this movie. Um, one of my favorite lines, I think you texted it to me, actually, because several days later I opened up my phone and, and saw it and then cracked up again, was she said something to the effect of um, he, uh, he targets girls who make bad decisions. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. So you you did say that. Like you thought that the motive for Michael Myers was that he was targeting girls who made bad decisions um because he that was when the 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 girl was uh sleeping with a boy, right? Okay. Okay. Claire's you got your <laughs> hand frantically up. Then give me the light. Give me the light. In, in the in the beginning when he was a kid, I said the pup kid was probably taking a bow over it cuz every single time he had killed a girl or tried to kill a girl, there was a freaking pumpkin. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Halloween, and that is the art that they were going for. But no, I want to, what do you think the, the motive for Michael was? Uh, in the beginning, she was, he was what would, you saw the the view of Michael from, the, as a kid. Yeah. You, he was looking through the window, and you saw the, the two, the two teenagers get on top of each other. The boy left. He went mm-hmm. up to the room. She was brushing her hair. Mm-hmm. He killed her. But so you think that Michael Myers killed his sister because she was brushing her hair? No, I think it's because, I think it's because she was supposed to be doing something different. Because like, um, Lori... Here, let me tell you. Okay, so she was supposed to be babysitting him. The sister. Yeah, the sister was supposed right. to be babysitting him. And instead she was fooling around with and the boy. And instead she was fooling around with the boy, having the S-E-X word. Um, <laughs> I can spell that. <laughs> Is it easier for you to say S-E-X instead of sex? Really? Okay, fair enough. Um. So he, so he was supposed to be watching, she was supposed to be watching him. It said she was having SEX with a, with the boy on the couch and then up to the room and the lights went out and the chief, that when he was coming in, the boy left. But the guy wasn't like, what the hell are you doing in here? Mm-hmm. Because he obviously lived in that house. So he was either an adult who lived there 
or was a kid mm-hmm. who lived there. And then, uh, what was the next girl who died? The one with the black hair who died in the car? Um, that was Lori's friend, whose name I don't remember because I don't remember people's names. Lori's friend with the black hair. Okay, I like said, it. Um, she was supposed to be watching her sister. Mm-hmm. And she... Well, it well, wasn't her sister. She was babysitting. She was getting paid to watch that kid and instead was making plans to meet up with her boyfriend. She was? Yeah. I thought that that was her sister. No. That's what makes it even worse. Is those parents trusted her invited her over to their house and paid her money. And then she left the kid with someone else. We don't even know if they know Lori and took off to go get the boyfriend. Yeah, super, super, super inappropriate behavior for a babysitter. So uh, she's supposed to be watching, uh, what was her name? I want to say Lindsay, but yeah, again, it was Lindsay. I don't know names. It was Lindsay. Okay. You're right. And uh, the other girl, the blonde hair one was Linda. Mm-hmm. And the black hair one was had something to do with the with a D in the name. I just don't remember it. It's like Day or something. <laughs> I think like it's that. Diane. Um, Diane. Diane was supposed to be babysitting Lindsay, but instead she was going to have the thing with the boy, and so he killed her. Maybe he was scarred for life by the girl not even babysitting him, and maybe, maybe. that's why he did it. And maybe the pup kids took over him. Whatever. Anyways, I could not disagree more. With your theory that the pumpkins are possessing uh, Michael Myers, but I like it, and it makes me feel like what we need to watch is Pumpkinhead. But so you think Michael Myers is doing that because he was upset that his sister didn't watch him, and so when he finally got out of the mental institution, he went after women who were doing the same thing. And then... um Linda, she didn't even know that the kid was that she was supposed to be babysitting the kid. But even if she had, she probably wouldn't care anyways, because mm-hmm. she was smoking cigarettes around the kids. Mm. So he probably killed her. And I'm pretty sure at one point she mentioned that she was supposed to be babysitting another kid. But anyways, and then Lori, I think the reason she didn't get killed was because she was actually babysitting the kids and being responsible. Mm. So you think that's why she survives? Yeah. So you kind of then lean into the idea that some of these horror movies are value judgments on what people are doing and the choices that they're making. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And what did you make of uh, Dr. Loomis's uh, statement that Michael Myers isn't, he's not a man. He's evil. He's pure evil. Do you think that Michael Myers is pure evil? Does that make sense to you in the way that you watch the movie? I don't know if you saw, but right before Joe Bob Briggs came on, the transition, right before it, you were just pulling up your phone and you didn't see this part. But Michael, when he was looking at Lori when she was babysitting, he had kind of like a loving look in his eyes, even though you can't actually see him. He kind of had like a moment of hesitation. And maybe he real like just like when the masked man in the um in the camp movie he the he had done something really horrible and that the mask let him see what he had done. Mm, uh, so that's maybe uh, the shutters, pumpkin, you might be the killer. Yeah, and then maybe maybe the pumpkin, <laughs> if he did haunt him, I mean take over him. Maybe the pumpkin let him see what he was doing, and he had a moment of hesitation about killing the next girl because she was actually doing what she was. What, what she was supposed to. So I think in real life, which of course there is no real Michael Myers, um, but in real life, most serial killers have some kind of, of sexual motivation, like they're attracted to their victims. 
Um, and I do think that you're right that he is looking with looking at her sort of fondly. Um, I think he's attracted to Lori. I think that's why he follows her around town. Um, and I think that's why he follows her to the house where she's babysitting. Um, I think that he kills her friends because he's thinking that's probably the best way to get to her because she will eventually come over to the house to investigate. And she does. And I think all of that was an attempt to get to her. I do think he would have killed her if he could have. I mean, he tried really hard, but it turned out that, you know, he was uh, no match for Laurie Strode. I, you know, I I think that's a very, um, for Claire, I think it's a very humanistic, like, approach to looking at villainy in movies. You know, Claire, this is not the first time that you have looked for some kind of human emotion that shows that the villain is more than just an evil incarnate, like a, a, an evil being. I had one thing. Um, another movie I watched, it was called, it was something about ghosts. A ghost had taken the form of a human, and the ghost's objective was to kill all the people who were like the person who killed him. So maybe he, Michael Myers was killed, and he was a ghost, and he grabbed a knife. He walked in there looking like looking like Michael Myers, and maybe it not even is Michael Myers, and maybe it's a ghost pretending to be him. Hmm. And the real Michael well, Myers well, boy isn't even there. But I, I, but I, but that that only makes me more interested in the answer to my question because when I watch Halloween, I don't think. Is there a boy in that man who was stuck in a mental institution for 15 years that doesn't want this fate that has been put on him and wants to escape it like um, the dude from You Might Be the Killer? I don't think that. I think Michael is evil and he is evil unleashed and Loomis failed to keep him bottled up and let him out and people paid the price for it. Why do you look for the most human interpretation of him? Like, why is that? Why do you not want to interpret him as pure evil? Like, what makes you not see it that way? Like, like what drives that? Well, well, in school, people, the kid, the people say that there's no such thing as a pure evil person. Mm. So maybe I've learned so much about that that I'm just pushing it away that he's pure evil because I don't think that because I learned that nobody could be pure evil. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to find different reasons to prove that he's not pure evil, and I don't even and I don't even realize it. Do you do you always assume that there is another side to the story that makes for a reasonable explanation? Like in any conflict. Do you always think like, hey, the other side of this conflict, they might just think something that I don't understand. And if I can understand them, it might help us resolve our problems. Well, sometimes even in the real world, like sometimes my friend, she wants to play a different game. But I that I want to play the game that she doesn't want to play. Mm. But it's a fight. And then I realize, wait, she's not very good at the game. Maybe <laughs> that's why she doesn't want to play. She doesn't want to fail. And the fact that I know she hates failing. And no, this is not one of those things where I'm talking about myself and pretending it's another friend. I think, though, that that serve you well, that philosophy will serve you well. Because in real life, very rarely is somebody just pure evil. Even the worst, most horrifying serial killers imaginable 
when they get caught and someone investigates their background, usually it turns out that they were victims of horrifying child abuse. Um, so, you know, I think that that's good that you don't look at someone and go, oh, well, they're just bad. Is it like the person, like the person who plays Veronica and that also plays the the girl at the good place who was supposed to go to hell, but she came to heaven on accident and they tra- the other girl who had the same name was traded on accident. But then she, but that the girl was brought back to heaven, but she didn't want to go to hell and they were, tra- and she was changing. But she was a killer. I don't understand the relevance to that. Yeah, I'm not sure what connection what you you're drawing. The Good Place. No, yeah, I yeah, understand the show. show. I got but the show, and I know what situation you're talking about. I'm just not clear how that's related. Like, in your mind, how is that connected to Halloween? Because um, Michael Myers, he probably had a good background. He probably had a happy life. Well, up until he was like six. five years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's really interesting about Michael Myers as a villain is uh, if you look at all the slasher films that come after this movie, and even if you, uh, or maybe especially if you focus on John Carpenter's movies, those villains have more depth to their backstory. They um, are victims of child abuse, or they have a psychotic mother, or... What's a psychotic mother? I'm thinking of a, a film series called Friday the 13th where the the villain in films two through however many they've made at this point is Jason Voorhees. The villain in the first movie is Jason Voorhees' mother. Um, and, oh my and, God, spoilers! Uh, yeah, okay. And that movie's really old. And, and not good. And not good. Um, and, but anyway, uh, his mother was a violent murderer and she was crazy and she was not good to him or to anyone else. And so, you know, even that fictional character has a backstory that explains how did he turn out this way? Um, the, uh, I don't, won't go into it cause we're going to watch it, but, um, the villains in scream, they go into a lot of detail about their backstory and how they turned out that way. Um, the, um, even in, you might be the killer, you know, there's the whole story with the mask and the possession and, and everything they yeah, really. They, whole, they have a whole bunch of flashbacks where it's like people dead zero, people right. dead two, people dead seventeen. Right. So they, they actually go to seventeen. So, but go yeah, away. exactly. So in most slasher films, they want to be really clear about, you know, how did this person get this way? Um, and Michael Myers is completely unique as far as I can think of, um, because he his first murder is when he's six years old. Most people can't even remember when they were less than six years old. Um, we get no information about his backstory prior to that. Nobody ever says, oh, well, you know, he was abused or he was abandoned or, oh, he was adopted. We don't know what happened to him before that. There's no story. He just, the you know, the film starts, he's six years old, he's dressed as a clown, he kills his sister. And then, according to Dr. Loomis, he never says a word after her murder, not once. Never speaks. He never did speak. And nope. he never does speak in the film. So there is no story to him whatsoever. He is just a shell of a person that murders a lot of people. Um, and and yet his character still does have an evolution. You know, in, in the first Halloween, he's very focused on Lori. He wants Lori. He wants to kill Lori and anybody who gets in his way. Um, in some of the sequels, he becomes more of like he murders anybody he interacts with. You know, he if you walk into the restroom and he's in the restroom, you're dead. 
Um, if he pumps gas at a station, you're working the cashier or cash register, you're dead. You know, um, so in that way, he sort of evolves as a character from somebody who is obsessed with a person to somebody who's just really violent. Um, and some of those stories try to give Lori more of a story, uh, maybe to explain why Michael is so obsessed with her. And then other films later on will contradict that and go, no, 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 we're not that story, a different one. Um, but really nobody ever that I can think of, Dad, feel free to jump in. I don't think anybody ever really explains anything about Michael beyond just he's evil. That's it. But there are multiple movies. There's like Halloween 1, Halloween 2, well, 3, 4, 5, 6, Yeah, seven, nine, nine, I mean, nine, in Halloween 4, 5, and 6, uh, you get into the Cult of Thorn, and they're, they, they talk a little bit about the idea of what creates something like Michael. Um and some significance to it. Um, so, I mean, they start to explain it. But for my money, I don't necessarily need the motives of the villain, you know, explained to me. I like the idea of Halloween as the babysitter club meets a demonic force, you know? And Well, not the babysitter club. The babysitter club actually cares about the people they Babysit. <laughs> yeah, sure. That's sure, a good sure. point. Lori is part of the babysitter club. <laughs> uh, you don't think the other girls are babysitter so club's material? <laughs> She's shaking her head with a serious no face. I love that. Do you even hear the joke about pulling Lindsay's clothes off? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, I tell you what. And, you know, I was glad that Joe Bob called that out, too, because in, in my mind, like, what a strange and weird joke to put in the middle of that movie. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't even know that I would call it a joke because jokes are funny. Fair and, enough. And there, there's nothing funny. It's not like, oh, well, I don't like those kinds of jokes, but I do recognize that some people find them funny. Like, there's no punchline to that. Yeah. It's not funny. If I had to say why it's in the movie is is because I, I think what you see all of these uh, high school kids doing in the film is pushing taboo. And they're punished for their pushing of things that are taboo. Do you know the word, Claire, taboo? Uh, things that are like um, frowned upon by the community and considered not allowed. It's very strange. Like I think it's kind of clunky uh, add-in for the script. I don't think it does quite what they're setting out to do. But I think it's about taboo um, and, and keeping that in the mind of the viewer as Michael seeks out all of the violators of the social norms. It could be. Also, if Claire's right and he's punishing people who make poor choices, we don't really see any any of Linda's boyfriend other than that scene. Mm -hmm. And he's not doing anything that's against the rules mm. up, you know, up until that point. Uh, Linda invites him into someone else's house. Linda is taking advantage of the fact that the parents are out of town and or not out of town, sorry, out on a date. Is sort of like she's making all the poor choices. He's just been invited to go with his girlfriend. Who do you think the baddest character is in Halloween, Claire? Gotta say Linda's boyfriend for making <laughs> that rude joke. Now, now, does that include in your estimation Michael Myers? No. Okay. So Michael Myers is at the top of the list. No. No? Who's at the worst? Like, who's the worst character in the movie? Well, do you, I mean, do, do you not, do you, does the question not make sense? Is that the problem? No, it. It does make sense. I'm trying to. I'm trying to recall all the characters that I thought were bad, and to to pick out which one were it. I don't even think Michael Myers is bad. Um, Are any okay. of the characters bad? But yes. explain. Who? You okay. Um, kid is bad because he was just really annoying. Like which, which kid? 
the kid that uh, that Lori was originally supposed to babysit. He was Tommy. like, yeah, Tommy was like, let's do a movie. Then let's cover the pumpkin. Then let's make popcorn. And the kids were like really annoyed. They're like, let's do this instead. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's yes, do this. Let's I do agree. This. Let's do this. The children this. are worse than Michael Myers in this movie. Now you understand what it's like to be a parent. No. <laughs> I think the worst person in the movie was the one who kept talking during it. Uh-oh. <laughs> She's glaring at me. Kidding. I'm kidding. She's not, though. No. I. Do you want to know, actually, who I think is the worst person in this movie, Claire? Uh, Michael Myers' parents. Why? Because they, first of all, they plan a date on Halloween. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. That's messed up. Why? Because they should have been home taking their kid trick-or-treating. Oh, yeah. Your dad and I would never go out on Halloween. Then they left him with their teenage daughter. And I'm sorry, but if you don't know that your teenage daughter is not going to take your kid trick-or-treating even though he wants to go, then you're not really paying a lot of attention to who she is as a person. I don't necessarily fault them for not knowing that the boyfriend was going to come over because teenagers sneak around and they do things they shouldn't. Exactly. So you should assume that's going to happen. But but right. Exactly. You should assume that's going to happen. And um, and that's a another good reason not to you know, leave this kid's Halloween experience pinned on whether or not your teenage daughter does what she's supposed to. But anyway, so so number one, I think they demonstrate that through their choice making that they are not very good parents. And then when their son kills their daughter, which I can't even begin to imagine how that would feel as a parent, they dump him in a psychiatric facility and never see him again. Yeah. that That's terrible. I don't care what your child does. If it's your kid and you've put them in a hospital, so you are sort of acknowledging that they are not responsible for their actions, that something is wrong with their brain, and then you just walk away like, well, this is not my problem. That's a terrible human being. I absolutely think Michael Myers' parents are the worst characters in this movie. That's a pretty good argument. I think any parent who left is the worst parents in the movie. Yeah. Worst people. All of these parents are going, going out, out on Halloween. It's wild. And their kids are home, stuck home. Although there was some really weird, like super early trick or treating going on. So maybe 1978 Halloween is totally different than 2019 Halloween. You know, I kind of have vague memories of my friends thinking it was weird that my parents took me trick-or-treating in the 80s. Yeah, dork. So, right. So maybe (laughs) in the late 70s, you were supposed to just go out on your own. But I I don't know. We would need to find someone who was old enough to remember the late 70s, but I feel like surely not at six years old. Yeah, I agree. I don't don't think you would go on your own. But I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. so one of the other things I wanted to talk about, Claire, is what did you think of the music in the movie? The, I think the it was theme? very eerie and creepy and stalker-like. But also, how is that a good children's song? Because Grandma and Grandpa put that on there, put that on their Halloween kids music list. <laughs> they did, they did. <laughs> but it's you know it's great. I the the I mean the stuff I like from this score is uh, the fact that John Carpenter did this stuff himself. Did you know that um, John Carpenter's dad was a music teacher, and so while he was growing up, he learned a lot of instruments just by virtue of the fact that his dad was uh, teaching music. And so when it came time for him to uh, score the films that he was making, he used his skills as a musician that he learned from his dad to make the music to go along with the movie. 
I like I like John Carpenter's music, like his theme music and his synth, like when the you know the da 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 da, like that when that drops, the synthesizer chords drop. I like that a lot, and I think it is really like foreboding and um, stalkery and scary. Well, and clearly, you're not alone in that because I can think of at least three haunted houses off the top of my head that I've been in that used Halloween's theme song as their sort of ambient music as you're walking through Oh, sure, it. yeah. I mean, The haunted house that I went to was da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. There was a um, haunted um, zombie rock and roll part at the very end where you got to go through like a rock and roll zombie theme at the very end where the um, ambulance was. There was a crashed ambulance with actors with like plastic zombies inside. Like the door opens when you walk by a motion sensor, I'm pretty sure. Like the door just opens. And then you see like a person being dissected. There's like there's like two people. There's like two plastic people holding like things hold- with like beaded stuff on it, mm-hmm. yucky stuff. And then there's a plastic body on there with things that it just like jumps up at you when you pass another motion sensor. It's very creepy. There's a lot of firsts for you this Halloween. Not your first slasher movie. I maintain that Terminator One is a slasher movie. No, um, it is. No, um, <laughs> but he just but he just goes around killing people. It's like blah, blah, blah. yeah. But the, I, I mean, I think this is the the, and, but I mean, also you might be the killer as a slasher movie, yeah. um, and but you know this is this is a classic, um, it's your first John Carpenter movie, like you were just saying, you went to your first like real haunted house this Halloween, um, a lot of stuff. Are you gonna be scared while we're out trick or treating tonight because you watched Michael Myers? If I go buy a Michael Myers you, mask and you walk missed around a, in a jumpsuit, you missed a first. What? And it's a first I'm really proud of. Claire's chosen Halloween costume this year is scary. Oh yeah, what do you? Let, let's tell the folks what you're going as. I'm gonna be a ghost. Yeah. What was your inspiration for the ghost? Mm, costume look cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and just that's to be, a Claire mind for you. Just to be clear, we're not talking like I got a rock sheet over your head, ghost. <laughs> It's a penis reference, and it goes like, I got bubblegum, I got a lollipop, I got uh, I got taffy, I got a rock. <laughs> so not the traditional throw a sheet over your head with some holes for your eyes, uh, ghost. Or holes everywhere for peanuts. No, she is uh, wearing a, uh antique-looking, very tattered dress, and we're... Uh, graying out her face and her hair and doing some pretty elaborate dead corpse bride style makeup and she's gonna be terrifying check the twitter account i'll throw some pictures up of it uh tonight and so that way you guys can take a look at it she's making a scary face um so what have we not talked about so far with halloween that we want to get into we're coming up on the end of time okay i have one last question for claire uh based on um joe bob because he talked a lot in the breaks about whether or not Laurie Strode was a feminist character um, and whether she was strong. And he presented some arguments uh, that one of the producers had about why she was a super strong character. And then he kind of refuted it with his opinion. And I'm just curious what Claire thinks. Do you think Laurie was a really strong character or were you, uh, did you think she was like helpless? What was your impression of her? She was strong in some parts that she was helpless in other parts. Like, like in the last part, the ma- the character who saved the day was a man. Like, what's with the character saving the day is being a man? Mm-hmm. Did Loomis save the day? I mean, he definitely saves Laurie Strode. 
but he doesn't really save the day because even though he shoots Michael, Michael gets up and is gone. Well, I mean, a ghost doesn't die again. Mm-hmm. Do so you this th- proves my fact that he's probably a ghost that took it forward <laughs> or something. Do you do you think that um, does Laurie's character's choices, does what she does in the movie make sense to you? Do you think that you would make similar choices? Or do you think that she made bad choices so that they could have a scary movie? What do you mean? Um, I don't know. Like joking examples of that are like um, the scared person always runs upstairs instead of out of the house. Lori does that in this movie. Um, well, I mean, most killers mostly think that they're going to be hiding on the main floor. Mm-hmm. So you think Lori made good choices? I think that. I think that if the killer didn't, if Michael didn't see Lori go upstairs, he wouldn't even know that he went upstairs. Yeah, I I thought a lot about that argument. You know, John Carpenter has been very clear that from his perspective, he was telling a scary story um, that was just, this is why Michael Myers is an impassive evil force is because evil attacks a neighborhood, they respond, that's the story, and it's over. Um, I don't, you know, particularly find Laurie Strode as, uh, I think that she's, as a character, I think she makes sense. I think she's observant of the world around her. I think she responds intelligently to it. And in the sense that Michael Myers is an impassable evil force, uh, like she does as good as she can. And I, I think Loomis comes and saves the day and, and she can't do that. So like there's a complicated argument there because she's a believable character, um, which I don't think makes her a bad uh, woman character, even though she doesn't save the day. Yeah, but I, I don't even know that I agree that Loomis saves the day. I mean, Laurie presumably kills Michael at least three times, I yeah. think. And he just keeps coming back. Loomis kills Michael one time. The only reason he doesn't come back is he's now outnumbered two to one. Mm-hmm. Do you disagree with uh, Joe Bob's assertion that it's not a feminist movie? Um, I don't I don't think that it's particularly um, progressive social commentary. Uh, because certainly they seem to stigmatize, you know, uh, female sexuality, which I think is pretty typical for the time period. I agree. Um, but, but I do think that Lori is a really accurate depiction of a teenage girl. You know, she's not going to make every choice correct. And, you know, in terms of safety in a high pressure situation, I absolutely believe a teenager would leave the house where they are supposed to be babysitting to go across the street to check on their friends. Um, I think an adult would probably go, no, I'm not doing that. That's a terrible idea. But I, I find her believable. I find her preoccupation with what her friends are doing believable. Um, I find her uh, just horror with the idea that her friend has been talking to the boy she likes and that's kind of maybe clouding some of her judgment because she's really worried about that for a lot of the movie. Um, I find that to be believable. So I don't think that she's, you know, like a superhero strong, but I don't find her pathetic and helpless either. I think she's fairly genuine for what I would expect um, a teenager of either gender alone in the dark up against a psychotic killer to behave. Just like the Invisible Man, in uh, Invisible Man, he only kills boys. But then I think if if I understand feminist movie correctly, I think this is a feminist movie because 
because the guy, he only targets the girls. Mm. Like, he targets Lori and her friends. He targets the sister. He never even has a move. He doesn't even have a, have, a, have a second thought to kill the boyfriend. He just lets him go. It doesn't even care. Like, he even stops to let the boyfriend go. Well, he does kill one of the boyfriends, though, uh, in the middle of the movie. But what is, um, I'm, I'm interested, what, what does the word feminist mean to you? Something with a female? Anything more or less than that? I mean, no, no. Hmm. It's something with a female. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you understand the con? Like when people are talking about feminism versus not that, do you understand the conversation that's being had? No. So we've had a conversation that is very similar to that, even though we haven't necessarily used those words. You know, all the times we talk about how, um, let's say, for example, there's barely um, any woman in the Invisible Man movie. Well, how the woman is depicted in The Invisible Man. How she's like, oh, no, oh, no, rats, Invisible Man, I'm so scared. That That is a conversation about whether or not a movie is depicting women um, accurately or reasonably. Um, you know, when we talk at home about uh, in the other movies, like A League of Their Own, we talked about sports, right? And how um, women were not thought to be appropriate to play sports. And that there was a big fight and Congress had to step in and set all that stuff up. That conversation is the debate of feminism, whether or not women should have the right to play sports, uh, whether or not that should be socially acceptable. All of those conversations, like they deal with this idea of how women are treated in our society. And so when people are looking at a movie like John Carpenter's Halloween, they look at a character like Laurie Strode and some people come on and say, oh, well, she makes it to the end and she's a badass and she handles her business. So it's a feminist movie. And other people say, well, but at the end of the movie, she's beat up and she doesn't win. And a man has to come in and save the day. And she makes a lot of bad decisions in the run up. So she's not a good woman character. Even, you know, other people say, well, you don't have to be a winner or a loser to be a good, uh, well-written woman character. Um, You have to be believable. And make good choices. And women can be imperfect. They can be strong. They can be superheroes. They can be villains. Um, they can be all the things in between. They just have to make sense as characters. Uh, so it's a big conversation. And I don't know that there's any clear answer one way or the other. But that's what they're getting at is how people interpret movies and what they take away from them. And a lot of times the conversation is a little bit muddled because people's understanding of feminism is sometimes a little bit muddled. Um, there are people who, especially people who do not consider themselves feminist, they hear the word feminism and they immediately think of a woman who is super strong, stronger than any man in the film, right? Um, because they think that feminism is uh, a belief that women are stronger, better than men. Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman is a feminist movie because she is the superhero of the movie. And also a woman. Some people think that that's the only kind of feminist movie. Right. Um, but then there, I would say the most common uh, definition of feminism among feminists is that feminism is a belief that humans are equal regardless of gender. So it's not women are better than men or stronger than men. It's not men are stronger than women or better than women. It's just people Some people are stronger than other people. Some people are faster than other people. And it's not based on their gender. There are men who are faster than women. And there are also women who are faster than men. And that works with any example, smarter, stronger, whatever. And so 
I would look at Halloween and say, well, they've written a character that is fairly accurate. She behaves in a reasonable fashion. She's not running around like an idiot shrieking about rats. Um, The male characters in the film don't fare any better than the girls do. You know, it's not like Michael Myers can kill girls, but the, the boys are just so strong. You know, there's nothing like that. And Lori does not wait for a man to come and rescue her. She kills Michael repeatedly. It just, he just doesn't stay dead. It just doesn't take. It just doesn't take. It was an accident, though. She stabbed him in the head, didn't mean to kill him. I don't think you stab anybody in the head and don't mean to kill. Claire, don't stab anybody in the head as a warning. Right. That's a bad warning. So I, if someone says to me, you know, I think that um, Halloween is not a feminist movie, because it stigmatizes female sexuality. In other words, her friends who are having sex with their partners SEX. must die because they have made bad choices, right? Someone could say, well, that is not a feminist message. Therefore, this is not a feminist movie. And I would say, okay, I yes, I can agree with that. Someone else might say, well, but that's a product of the times. That's just, you know, culture in the late 70s. But I look at instead the idea that Lori is a reasonable human being responding reasonably. She's not waiting for someone to come and rescue her. She's taking matters into her own hands and she's defending herself. And she kills Michael repeatedly. It's not her fault that he won't stay dead. And so this is a feminist movie. And I would say, okay, yeah, I can see that too. But she's also stupid because she leaves the freaking knife every single time. (laughs) Like, are you stupid, Lori? He comes back with the knife the second, the first time. Why don't you take that knife with you the second time you kill him? Yeah, yeah. You're a freaking idiot there. Yeah, yeah, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I deserve to be stabbed to death. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> These are all good points. I mean, I think that somebody else might argue, and I'm saying somebody else because I totally agree with you guys, but I think somebody else might argue that she is in, you know, in the middle of an incredibly traumatic experience and her instinct is to get away from the violence, which includes the weapons. Sure. I think the takeaway from that is just that, you know, movies are subjective. And as much as movies uh, present an idea and engage with it in the movie, it also matters what you think and what you take from that movie in it. And that changes the way that movies can be interpreted. And so there is room for people to disagree about that. And it's okay if somebody has a different interpretation of a movie than you do. But I think that wraps up. Before we wrap up, going back to the question you asked earlier, you said, who do you think is the most worst person in the movie? Sure. Now that I've been thinking about it, going through the whole movie, I'm not going to see the parents because I know definitely that's your thing and I don't want to copy it. So, parents would be my first choice if you had chosen that. Mm-hmm. But my second choice, which is technically my first choice because I can't choose parents, would be everybody who's not Lori. Because <laughs> everybody good who's not Lori is making terrible decisions, including the doctor. He's like, "Let me stay here alone. You go. You go do something else. You're gonna be freaking killed. That's a freaking." Stupid idea. I mean, the and doctor go through is... his own home. He knows all the best hiding spots. <laughs> you don't. Why would you go through the house? Like that's just a stupid idea. But all these guys have terrible ideas. Lori, all of her terrible ideas lead up to something very good that she does. 
everybody else either gets killed or becomes or just never see it again. Like the cop after his last, after the scene where he's like, nobody's there, he's gone. Mm, Lou, the point. Well, and I think probably that's because that's Annie's dad. So if you saw him again, you would be witnessing grief of a parent who has just found their brutally murdered child. And that makes that movie less fun. Yeah, but you get to see that in Halloween too. Oh yeah, good point. Wait, they do? Yep. Halloween 2 takes place on November the 1st. It's, but like starting at midnight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it picks up like immediately. Yeah. And then Halloween 3 was made, which is the worst movie ever. Oh, that's wrong. All right. So wrapping up this conversation. You you are siding with the male girl and you are siding with Joe Bob Briggs. I am siding with no one because I have never even seen the movie. Fair. All right. So that wraps it up. No final takes. No final thoughts. Nothing. Okay. Um, All right. Happy Halloween. Have fun trick-or-treating. I hope everybody has a good time. Uh, We'll post some pics of the girls in their Halloween costumes. Uh, Send us some pics of your kids if you're taking them out uh, and celebrating Halloween. Um, Stay tuned next week for a discussion on... Um, the Monster Squad and Wolfman's Got Nards. Yeah. I love that movie. And if you and like I said, if you hadn't listened, uh, go check out the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast feed, uh, It Modcast Chatcast. Uh, search that out and you can find our interview with uh, Andre Gower and Henry McComas. And so I'm looking forward to that. And I, I definitely think John Carpenter was a hit. I think probably we'll do a trilogy dive for his Apocalypse trilogy, which is The Thing. Uh, Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. Fun fact for you, Claire, In the Mouth of Darkness. Brad got that name from the movie John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Uh, so it'll be a good a good initiator for you to the Dork Squad to watch that movie. So if you don't follow the podcast, find us on Twitter at B-A-C-E-A Podcast. Uh, you can find our episodes pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, if you... Uh, listen someplace and we don't happen to be there just let us know and i'll make sure and put the podcast up there uh we appreciate any reviews you can provide especially if you're an apple podcast listener uh that's the big one that's where most of our downloads come from and reviews are the type of help that only listeners like you can provide as we seek to expand our audience so until next time Okay, I'm going to hyperventilate. Okay.